Season three of We Are All Americans was recorded in the summer of 2020 in the midst of the global COVID-19 pandemic and the reinvigorated Black Lives Matter movement after the murders of Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and George Floyd. Normally, when I've done this at other places, I would, if you were paired up with someone, I would give you the recorder, I would show you how to use it, and you all would just go off and do the recording and then come mm, back. Mm -hmm. But because of the social distancing thing where I'm, I'm gonna do the recording, um, yeah. Cool. And that's why we set up six <laughs> with tape measure and everything. The flying V powder. Yeah. All right, you ready? I think so, as ready as I'll ever be. Okay, great. Welcome to We Are All Americans, conversations about how family stories are passed down from generation to generation and what it means to be American in the context of multiculturalism, immigration, military service, Black Lives Matter, white privilege, and indigeneity. I'm your host, Michelle Jacquis, and today we are recording at the ICALA in downtown Los Angeles as part of field workshop action projects, a series of short-term projects and activities that focus on learning, civic engagement, and self-care. And I'll let our participant introduce themselves. Hi, my name is Holly M. Crawford. I'm an educator, an artist, and a lichen forth living in Los Angeles, California, or what is now known as Los Angeles. Yeah. So can you share an interesting story about your family, maybe how and when they arrived in the U.S. or what it's like to be living in the U.S.? Yeah, well, of course, you know, it depends on who you ask. If you ask my mom, um, the family history is she can trace it. She's the one who does all of our genealogy research and she can trace it pretty far back. Um, and if you ask my dad, it gets a little convoluted and a little watery, a little muddy, a little murky. And so I, I usually like to start with stories about my father's family. Um, I think because I feel a deeper connection with his mother. And so, you know, um, so something I've been thinking about a lot, especially as we're living through a pandemic, is um, the relationship between my family and pandemics. Um, so as we all know, in 1917, there was a great influenza epidemic. And um, Philadelphia was one of the worst hit cities because there had been a parade. And then 24 hours later, all across the city, there were people who were really, really sick. And it just so happened that um, two of my families, so my mother's side of the family and my father's side of the family, they both lived in Philadelphia. There's a lot of interesting overlap and crisscross. My parents are actually seventh cousins removed. Oh, wow. Um, but my- and the removed, I never totally understand this. Removed is like by marriage? Yeah, they, yeah. Share, they share one common ancestor, uh, a great, great grandparent. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah, growing up, I always thought my parents looked alike in a way. And I was like, oh, that completely makes, makes sense. And, you know, also the practice of, you know, first cousins marrying is something that's also in my family, too. So it wasn't, I was like, oh, that makes sense. Um, but the, the story goes, um, my great-great-grandmother on my mother's side um, caught influenza and recovered, but it affected her health greatly the rest of her life, that she had... Um, and um, she used to have very thick hair. And after that, her hair had thinned out considerably. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't just she caught an illness once, it, it really did live with her. And then my father's uh, grandparents, um, 
they actually caught it and died. And they were parents to three to four children, um, one who was an infant who also passed. And then the, the third youngest is my grandfather. And because it's, I guess, the turn of the century in America, um, and you have these large nuclear families, but then if something happens, you don't really have one relative that can take three kids who have just been orphaned. So the family, um, my grandfather, his sister, and his brother were all split up. Wow. And um, my great-grandfather was... Um, he, his father, who had immigrated from Ireland, um, married twice. And so there were um, half-aunts and half-uncles, and my grandfather went to live with his half-aunts and was raised by them and still knew about his brother and sister, but um, the family stories that got passed down were very different. <laughs> and, I, and even like how people were related was so different. Um, and I've just been thinking about the impact of something like a pandemic on a family story and how it changes the trajectory, how it even under, it changes the perception of the family itself. Um, as my mom has been doing her genealogy research with my cousin on my father's side, they've been trying to track the origin story of my family wow. and it gets murky. And also, I didn't realize how many Thomas J. Crawfords there were in the world. But if you throw a rock, um, yeah, there's like 10. So it's just been very interesting. I've been thinking about this a lot, too. And then having parents that worked in healthcare, they're now both retired. Um, and kind of the stories that they've told just about illness. And I've just been thinking about that inheritance, like how that gets passed down through our generations and how, yeah, now it's like trying to solve this mystery of like, of our family because we don't really know. Mm. There's like things here and there. But it's, it's kind of exciting that like then my, most of my life I grew up thinking that um, my grandmother was my great-grandmother was from the Middle East. More specifically, she was from Syria. And I don't know where this story came from. It just was this idea, like, you have a grandmother who came from Syria, and da-da-da-da. Um, but then when you did um, Ancestry.com cheek swab, we were like, oh, no. Like, everybody's from Ireland or Portugal or Spain. So it's, yeah, it's really it's so it's, fascinating. Well, I wonder then if maybe... <laughs> They were there and went to Syria, but the DNA doesn't reflect Syria. It could, right? Because that, that Ancestry.com thing always changes. I've seen it over time, too. Like, certain markers will tick, and then they'll be gone. It's, it's interesting. What do you, like, if you do the test again, or if, oh, mm -hmm. Huh. Yeah, I've never done it. I've been a little nervous about the data being out there? Yeah, don't do it. My parents did it. I'm like, that's enough. Yeah, and then especially, who was the company that just bought them? Like, oh, I'm sure Amazon. No, 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 it was like, um, it was one of the military oh, great. actors that just bought them. I can't remember the name of it. 
and that <laughs> freaked me out. And my, my husband was like, oh my god, my brother, that means my DNA is out there because my brother did it. For me, it's always been this, I have this um, knowledge of the fact that on my mom's side, they're all Ashkenazi Jews. Mm. Some of them survived the Holocaust and some didn't. And my sister and I used to joke because we looked like my father's side that we'd be like, oh, we could have survived the Holocaust because we've got blonde hair and blue eyes. We look so Aryan. So, and then I have this super tinfoil hat fear that's not really a tinfoil hat fear that the Republican evangelicals will at some point want to ship all the Jews to Israel to start the second coming. So that's, I'm like, I don't, I don't need the record, official record of where my ancestors, who my ancestors are on, although I'm sure it is written down in my medical record or something, but yeah, it's a little, ancestry.com scares me a little, even though it's super fascinating. Like we mm -hmm. have, my grandfather did, he, his generation's the first, um, I only know my mom's side really, his generation's the first to be born here and he has, he and his brothers did a lot of genealogy and I think they got like five generations back behind them of, um, and it's this long scroll of a, of wow. a family tree that I have. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of, it might stop with my generation, but it's, yeah, it's fascinating to have all that information for sure. Absolutely. It's even fascinating to me too, because like I said, the name Thomas J. Crawford, it comes up so much in ship manifests, like starting in the 1880s onward. And I know my great, great, great grandfather, no, two gener no, two grandfathers, so great, great. I know he was on one and I actually spent time in Belfast a few years ago because Belfast records are really well, are really well kept and he was from Belfast. Um, and that's interesting too, because in my, you know, on the, Ancestry.com thing when it comes back, it's like, well, my father's family is mainly Irish, Scottish, and British. Um, and I definitely feel an affinity with like Ireland, like being in, being, being in Ireland feels like coming home, but so does like Scotland. I feel very much tied to those places. But I remember going into the genealogy archives in Dublin, like early one morning and um, asking you know, could somebody help me chase Crawford? And the genealogist kind of side-eyed me and she's like, Crawford is not a traditional Irish name. Mm. And it's, it's not. Um, yeah. oh. um, and, you know, finding out that during the revolution, a lot of families took on the O in front of their name um, for political and for religious reasons. And it was, that's actually how I ended up going. I ended up in did Belfast. The, did the O make it sound more Catholic? Yeah, that was one of the reasons. Yeah, when I studied abroad in Ireland at Bern College of Art, and the very first thing that the head of the school picked me up from the airport at Shannon, and the first thing he, like really one of the first things he asked was, oh, are you Protestant or Catholic? Yep. And I was just shocked because I was like, wow, people, you don't ask a stranger religion in our country. And when I told him I was Jewish, he was just like, oh, I don't know what we'll do with you. Oh, but Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's okay, I don't, I'm not practicing, I don't need a synagogue, but it was really, it was very, it was, it was like an awakening to realize how, how severe those delineations are and how important it is to know which, which well, side you're on, right? Especially in Belfast, where I, 
they call them friendship walls. And that distinguishes what neighborhood you're in. If you're in a Protestant yeah. or a Catholic neighborhood and it was, it, that Belfast to me, even if that's where my family roots are, is for me felt like an extremely painful place to be. Um, and there have been some studies about like, like generational depression in Northern Ireland because of, um, because of the history of the Troubles, because of the history of, of colonization and, yeah. And I got lost in Belfast, which is actually really scary. I had like no idea where I was going. Phone was like low battery and the streets there, they just kind of, everything looks similar. But if you knew like which wall you had passed on the way to get to the city center, it was like, oh, okay, I think I know where I'm going right now. Hmm. But it was while I was there and I was trying to like construct this history of my of my family that I also felt like at the time they don't really want to be found. Mm. And I think about this a lot too in terms of who they were, like what was their role in, you know, what made them come to the, to the U.S.? Um, what made them And those are questions I don't know, and I, I'd really, really like to know. Um, but the people who could have answered that, they're all gone. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's, it's weird, because sometimes I feel like I have one foot in the way bygone past and one foot in the future. My parents are older. They had me when they were in their 40s, and they grew up. My dad's pre-baby boom and my mom's baby boom. So I had this very... I had like this jeopardy knowledge of history mm. and the, my grandmother is a child of the depression and like I, I have this history and then at the same time it's it's there's kind of a you know growing up I, I heard these stories about my family so much it was like I had lived them but I really haven't I've just become like a a container for the stories. Yeah, that's a really interesting way to put it. And it, it, it's also like, what do I do with this information? Because a lot of it's so personal. And I'm like, well, where does this... But I'm also privileged to know these things. I'm also privileged to have like hundreds and hundreds of photographs of family members. And some we know who they are, some we don't. But my parents are getting older now, and I realize if I don't ask them who those folks are, I don't have a container to put. Yeah. I don't have, there's- You don't have the content to put in the container. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. So I'm just like, well, what does this history mean to me? Um, and I don't really do the genealogy work because it's something that my mom and my cousin do. And it's like bonding for them and they really are into it. But yeah, again, it's like, well, if I'm the container, what happens when I'm, what happens to that information and why is it important or is it important? Like who, who do I tell these stories to? It sounds, it's reminding me of when, when I was younger, 
and contemplating whether or not I wanted to have kids. Mm. Thinking the the one of the most of the time I was thinking no. <laughs> but there was what I remember also thinking there was moments where I would be like, but I do think I want descendants. Mm. And I think that's sort of what you're getting at, right? Mm. It's like who do you pass the stories down mm. to? How or does the family story end with one generation or not? Yeah. That was obviously that's not like the only reason somebody should have <laughs> But I but I empathize with that. I understand that sense of like, well what do you do with all the stories? But mm -hmm. we did the same when my grandparents my grandmother and grandfather died within four months of each other. My grandmother died first. And in that time after she died and before he died, my sister and I were like we need to get all these photos later mm, mm -hmm. as much as we can mm -hmm. because my mom didn't remember who a lot of the people were and my grandparents had a ton of photo albums like lots of stuff they so yeah it is it's a and now that we have only digital photos if you don't label to change the file names who knows <laughs> what half the stuff is i mean i i wonder too if like part of that process is because I do have family that live in Wales. I do have family that are in Scotland and Ireland still. And I'm like, well, is that like, and, and some of them don't know the full history either. And I'm like, well, maybe this would help them because yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with all these photos. It, I mean, it's like it, these photos could fill libraries. I have no idea. I have a, this is, so, you know, one of the things that I very much value is, is, is photographs of my family members. Like there's something about when I was a kid, even I'd sneak into my grandmother's bedroom and look at all the photos. And that's how I learned who everybody was. That's where I saw the first photo of my grandfather because he died like 30 some years before I was born. And I, it's also how I saw how she, what mattered to her. Like the most important things, the most important people were the ones that she had photographs of in right. her bedroom. And I don't have a, f the, I only have one photo of my grandmother because my dad has all the originals and he won't let me have one until he's dead. He's like, well, that's your inheritance. You get these when I'm gone. Can you just like go scan it? No. So I've, I've like my cousin will scan photos for me. But um, when I was in grad school, I was working on a piece um, that was reflective of the women that had raised me and I stole a photo of her. It's, it's, it's her in her um, high school graduation outfit. So it's not the most like complimentary photo of her, but it's, it's the one thing that I have and that I treasure. And uh, he doesn't know I have it. I don't think he has like an accounting of it, but, I'm, but I, I've had a few friends tell me like, yeah, their, their parents are kind of the same way. There's like this preciousness of the photograph, but I'm also like, there's at least a million of those. So like I, I've seen them, they're like in a box and there's like duplicates and everything. And my worst fear is he doesn't know where they are right now. He like misplaced them. Oh. And I'm terrified that I'm never gonna find them, which is probably not true. I'm sure I will find them. But there are photos, um, there are actually very historical photos. Like my grandfather, when he was it's called the Carolina Maneuvers, and he, uh, they were gonna do amphibious landings during World War II. And so my grandfather has photos from his training. Mm. And there's photos that my grandmother took during the war years. 
like when it was just her and my father and her father. And um, it's also photos of her where she's smiling, like very just vivacious type of person. And it just means so, it means so much just to have a photo of her, like, yeah, and he's not open to sharing them for some reason. It's kind of like a horde, but I, but I also, I, get, I think I understand a little bit more too, because for years, um, Christmas was really difficult in our family because his father had died before Christmas, but he never told me the story. And um, he, would, he was like, you should ask your grandmother. But I was also told like, if you ask your grandmother, that's like, that's something that's painful for her as well. And I was like, well, I don't want to be responsible for like, asking this woman to relive this so this moment no i never asked her and by the time i felt i could ask her she was in hospice care and i was just like we just are going to enjoy our moments together and just like she didn't want to talk about past she wanted to talk about what i was doing mm -hmm. but my dad a few years ago we were at a diner and it was christmas day we we're at a diner and all of a sudden he just says he tells the whole story about what happened. And um, he was like, it was, a few, it was 10 days before Christmas, police officers showed up to his classroom and said, you have to come with us. And nobody gave him an explanation. And it's 1955, so I, it's like, you know, ideas about telling people like why we're taking you somewhere. And when he got home, he found out what had happened. And then he told me it was the first funeral I ever went to. And then I had to be a pallbearer. And it was like this wave of relief. And even my mother, who he's been with for like 50 years now, she didn't know that story either. Wow. How old was he? He was uh, 15 or 16. Oh, so he was pretty young. He was pretty young. But I'd never heard the story. And we butt heads a lot. And in that moment, I, was, I just saw, I saw how painful that was. And it really like hit me because all the stories he's always told me about my grandfather were always about how kind of ornery he was, or there were always stories that if he tells them in the in the in a certain way, like they really sound awful. Like my grandfather was suffering from undiagnosed PTSD. There's no doubt in my mind that he was probably um, a changed person when he came back. He had been a boxer. He couldn't box afterwards. Yeah. I think That's there is. What do. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And my dad met him when he was two. And it just sounds like there was always a struggle to want to be accepted by his father. And I know my dad loves, like the way that my dad talks about his father is still like this 15 year old boy talking about his dad. Yeah. And Yeah, I, it's like after hearing that story, there's just this sense of like relief in a way. Cause it's like, well, at least I know that story. At least I know that that was a very profound and painful experience. And I understand, I don't like it, but I do understand why you parented me the way that you did. Mm -hmm. um, 
and now could you please go to therapy? But that's, I know that's not gonna happen. That's a generational thing that I'll, I, I'll never be able to convince him is to, is to do that, even if it, even at the expense of it, like I think it would actually help us to like understand how this family history of trauma, this family history of illness, this family history of, of silence, of, um, of believing what you're told and not questioning it. Mm-hmm. I think it would be so helpful. That's a very Catholic thing, isn't it? Oh, God. Oh, he has, oh, my dad is baptized Catholic and he has all the guilt, but he's never been a practicing Catholic. <laughs> I've, I've heard that that's, a, that's like you're not allowed to question. And I've talked to people who are ex-Catholics who all often say like that was why they left was that sense that they were not when they asked the priest a question about why this, why that, they were told no, mm-hmm. just believe, don't mm-hmm. ask. Which in Jewish tradition we have a thing called stump the rabbi. <laughs> Wait, what is this? What is stump the rabbi? Stump the, stump the rabbi. Oh, stump the rabbi. Oh my goodness. It's like when the rabbi wants everybody to ask questions Mm -hmm. and try to stump him so him or her so that they can't answer Mm. because they're difficult questions but they're willing to try to answer it's a really it's a to me coming from that even though my family immediate family is not very religious but coming from that tradition Mm -hmm. is fascinating to hear about being in a place where you're not allowed to ask yeah and i you know my grandfather was a very my father's father was a very strict Catholic. Like, he married my grandmother on Good Friday, which was not unheard of. They had to get special permission to do this, 1944. They had to get special permission to do it. And um, my grandmother was Episcopalian, so she had to sign a contract saying that all her children would be baptized Catholic and they would be raised in the Catholic faith. Um, but. My grandfather, my father tells me my, gra- my grandfather had three major things happen to him during the war and after. One was um, seeing mass burials and, um, you know, they'd have a rabbi, they'd have a, a priest, reverend, um, and just bless these mass graves. And my grandfather was like, if everybody's being buried together, they're all going to the same place. Mm. And then when he came home... Or staying right where they are. Yeah, or they're going to stay right where they are. <laughs> hey, I think he was still like a good Catholic at the time. I think he just assumed everybody's going to like be elevated up to heavens. Yeah. I think the second thing that happened was my, grand- my grandmother had a very challenging pregnancy with her second child. And he wanted... Um, he was like, my wife and I will be using birth control because I, I don't want her to mm. go through that again. And then the third thing that happened, um, I guess his priest told him, wool dogs don't have souls. And my grandfather was a very, um, loved dogs, uh, was actually a breeder of dogs for a while. And he just refused to believe, I, 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 I don't even know. I was like, this is a, I mean, that's a pretty strong reason to leave the church, um, that you don't. You won't accept my dog. You won't accept my dog. You won't accept uh, me and my wife using birth control. That the, the dog is apparently the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, I wonder about that too, though, because in our family, dogs are like, 
everybody has a dog. We're a dog family. Yeah, (laughs) because I was always told that when my parents divorced, they fought, my father fought more for the dog than for the kids. Oh, I think that would have happened to us. If my parents had divorced, I think there would have been a struggle for the dogs. Yeah, yeah. And I should say, my my father is Catholic. Mm -hmm. So when they married, they couldn't marry in a church. My I don't think they married in a temple. I don't know where they got married, but they did probably have a rabbi. But my mom, my mom's parents did not want them to get married. And my mom said, because they didn't want her to marry a Gentile, but she said, well, we'll just live together. And this was this, this was 73. And they were like, oh no, no, we'll give you a wedding. It's fine, we'll give this, you a wedding. This kind of sounds like a Mara and Stiller sketch almost in a way. <laughs> and then the, and then, but what's not so funny is my father's family did not come. Mm. My grandparents didn't come to the wedding because my mother was Jewish and not Catholic. And I think I've been told also that my father's friend who was going to be the best man decided at the end not to come too. And I remember thinking that as a, like, that, I think, I think that knowledge is what, and the fact that my father sort of disappeared for a while is what made me be like, I am, even though I'm technically half, I was like, no, I am all in for my mom's side of the family. Mm. And that's my identity. Mm. I don't know this French Canadian Catholic side. I don't mm-hmm. know anything about it. And they didn't want us. Right. So, so you, you embrace, you embrace the, you embrace that part of you that is so like, yeah. Yeah. Like my grandparents and my mom raised me. My father didn't. So I don't know. I just with with the Jews, because <laughs> that's the ones who accepted us. How did your parents meet? In college. Mm. Yeah, my my father said he he's a few years older than my mom. Mm-hmm. My mom went straight out of high school. My father served in Vietnam. I think he said he was in the Air Force. He started college, and then he said he majored in the three Bs billiards, broads, at booze. Mm. And so he was failing, and that's, he said, why he got drafted. Or why, because I think if there was a time where if you were enrolled in college, you could avoid the draft, right. right? So he went, I think he got, I think he got drafted, then he enlisted so he could choose which branch. Okay. And then... My dad did, did the same thing. Yeah. And, yeah, I was guessing pro- our parents are probably similar age, but my mom was only 24 when she had me, so that's why you and I are, you and I are not the same age. I, I think about this every day, the, the story that my parents were gonna go to Woodstock and my mom said she couldn't go with somebody she wasn't married to. And I was oh, like, fascinating. I was like, I could have had the ultimate conception story. And she's For like, real? no, I would not have slept with your dad then. Well, so <laughs> my father tried to go. So they lived in Buffalo, New York. Oh, so did my parents. Are you serious? Um, so, you know, my, my parents, they were both from Philly. My dad actually spent time in California because this is where he served during the Vietnam War. Yeah. He came back to Philly and they were both working at UPenn and my mom, they were both x-ray techs. Okay. And they my met. Mother, my mother-in-law was an x-ray tech. Oh my God. So this is just like and chills. And the twin. Those are the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> so they got married. There, that's, there's also some dubious story with my dad and an ex-fiance there, but they got married 
and he kind of kept this shady secret from my mom. He was like, oh, I got into my, uh, he, um, he was finishing up school, but then they moved to Buffalo because he was going to get his master's in like, med like medicine and wow. tech. But he kind of like kept all these things from her. And it was, it was really kind of sorted because my mom, if she had had her, her way, never would have left Philadelphia. She would have wow. stayed because yeah. her whole family was there. And their, all their families were there. They just had to drive across the bridge and the, to be in Jersey. Yeah. And they'd be, you know, with their family. That's so wild. Yeah, yeah, they lived in Philly for a year. And then they went to Buffalo. Mm -hmm. So fascinating. Yeah, my father is born there. That's okay. where I was born. Okay. But my, my mom's from, was born in Queens mm -hmm. and grew up in Long Island and then only went to Buffalo for college because my grandparents said to her, your brother can go out of state because he will be the head of a household. You have to go to a state school because you won't be the head of a household. Mm. And she, and they told her you should be, they, she didn't know what she wanted to study. They convinced her elementary education because they said, that's a nice career for a young lady. Mm -hmm. But then my mom, so my parents got married the summer after my mom graduated. My father was still in school. He was older, but he started later because of the war. Or, or he finished later because of the war. I think he started, then took time off, and then finished, came back, and that's when they met when he came back. And they might have met in a figure drawing class. Oh, wow. If I remember correctly. Like, my, he was an art ed major. She was elementary ed. So I don't know if it was an education class or, or a drawing class. But anyways, they got... So my, they, but then they divorced before I was in elementary school. Okay. Yeah. My parents waited 15 years um, because as soon as they got married, my dad told my mother he didn't want to have children. Mm. And yeah, those are the conversations you try to have. Yeah. Parents, right? Well, my, my thing about this too, about my mom, and I'm like, you know, she's, she's that age where she could have been part of the feminist movement. She could have done. And she's like, but I you know, she just wasn't. She was somebody who, like, even when I ask her now, I was like, do you remember this? Do you remember this? She's like, I can tell you where I was living, but I don't remember. Did they live in a, did she grow up in like the suburbs? She grew up in, um, where did they live? I'm trying to think where they, where her mother's house is now. I mean, they lived in Germantown and, um, her grandfather and her uncle were actually on, on part of the Philadelphia police force. Um, I asked because I remember talking to my mom like when we watched the movie Born on the Fourth of July mm. because that takes place um, Ron Kovic is from my mother's hometown in Long Island and I remember afterwards saying to her like what was that like? Were you involved in the protest? Did you go to this? And she was like no like, and I don't know if it was because I think some of it was when she was in high school and some of it was when she was in college, but she just was so disconnected from politics mm -hmm. and social issues. She just wasn't, she was, it seemed like she had a very sheltered suburban. Yeah. I just, the, that's the other part of the, whereas my father was very involved in anti-war protests, I think, when he came back. Yeah, I think my parents were, I think the same. I think my mom, I don't think my mom became radicalized as we think about like radical until she had me. Mm. Um, and I think my dad is, 
Because I remember going, my dad actually saved me from a life in the military kind of inadvertently because there's this military tradition in my family. And I told him, I think I was in elementary school. I said, I'd like to be a pilot because he was in the Air Force. And I was like, oh, well, you know, Air Force, they have pilots. And I think around that time, they just had their first woman like become a, a pilot. And my dad looked me in the face and said, women can't be pilots. And I remember, well, I was like, well, thank you for saving me from the military industrial complex. But um, <laughs> I could be a commercial pilot. I can be a commercial pilot. Um, but then I also realized, too, I was like, well, I'm not a girl, uh, first of all. But second, I, I told him that years later. I think it was in my early 20s. And he actually apologized. He was like, I am really sorry I ever told you that. That was never my intention to make you feel like you couldn't do anything because you were less than or I saw you differently. Um, oh, yeah, I've only gotten two apologies from my dad in my life. That was one of them. But I... Well deserved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But there's just certain things they were, like even how they see those years, like they're both music aficionados and they love music and they can tell you any concert they went to between 1970 and like 1986. But if you ask about a movement, well, my mom a little bit more because she was one of the first women supervisors in her department. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a big deal uh, in the 80s for them. Um, but I, I also think they were just, they were really struggling. Like uh, they didn't, they hardly had any money. They were borrowing from like family members left and right. Yeah, it is a, it's a <laughs> definitely right uh, to have the time and energy to engage in protests and politics on top of just, when when there's others who are just struggling to survive like mm -hmm. i get it totally mm -hmm. it's it's not not everybody can have has that capacity i felt that like during when this most recent black lives matter uprising started up again i felt like i wanted to be out in the streets but at the same time i was like we're in a pandemic mm -hmm. and i have a child and i don't have childcare right now like, and I've brought him, he's been to like two or three women's marches. He's been to the march against Trump's inauguration. But it, I felt like if it wasn't the pandemic, I was like, I can't, I don't think I can, this is not the way I can engage in this right now. Mm. I have to do it in other ways. Mm -hmm. I want to shift gears a little bit to be to a more direct question. What do you think it means to be an American? I don't think I know. I don't know if I do either. It's a hard question. It, it is. And it's something that I, I think I've thought about this question a lot, too, when I think about what's happening with the story of migration mm -hmm. and um, what it means to be the descendant of colonizers who were colonized at some point as well, um, thinking about the, the different countries that my ancestors were leaving for one reason or another, whether they felt that they were being oppressed, whether they felt like they weren't going to survive. Mm -hmm. um, but thinking about that a lot. And I think it's just, I, I'm not sure because it's like, well, 
this Amer this idea of America is 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 still new. It's shifting minute by minute, and who knows if there's going to be an America like this idea of like how places change. Mm -hmm. It does feel like we're in the fall of the American Empire stage. Oh, I. I, I remind everybody, there's a brilliant quote by Eddie Izzard, the comedian. He was like, you're the new, he's like, America is the new Rome. You've got vomitoriums, orgies, and everything to, to look out for, but just remember. Um, and that was in the late 90s, early aughts. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I, I think where I'm working on right now is to me, it, th there's a weight that's associated with this idea of what it means to be an American. And how do I, how do I, and thinking about my family history too, like how do I, how do I confront the things that I was raised to believe are true as an American when I know that in fact they are not, that it is all part of a, it, it, it's, 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 it's a made up story of what it means to be American. Mm -hmm. I don't know. And can, can like American, can this idea of being like an American, can it be, is it, is it all a performative action? Like I'm just thinking about what you're sharing about making yes. like costumes with, your son and I'm like, yeah, you, you kind of don these different disguises or identities. And it always feels like you're never quite close to, to matching it. Well, I think about also like we have this puzzle that somebody gave us that's a children of the world, right? And mm. everybody's in their native costume of their home, of their country. I don't remember what the American one, it might just be like a girl with shorts and a t-shirt and skateboard or something. Is it weird that I said it was gonna be somebody wearing shorts and a t-shirt? That was what you thought? Yeah, I think it is. And it's, but I remember always feeling like we, it's hard to pinpoint because of the salad bowl or melting pot mm, or whatever you mm. want to call it. It's hard to pinpoint, it's almost like because it's all everything. Mm, mm -hmm. But there is still this layer of, but it all has to assimilate into this other, this, this American thing that you were just saying, you're told you have to believe in. Yeah. I've always struggled to answer the question myself because I feel like we've got this ideal, but we, but, the country doesn't quite live up to it. Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Hmm. I'm, I'm wonder. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering um, if and when this interview comes to light, what my mom's reaction is going to be. <laughs> She's going to be like, "Oh my God!" But, but I, you know, I coming going back to earlier, like if I am the vessel. Where do I, what becomes of this? And so I think that's why I was, I've been. Was that partly your motivation to participate? Oh, totally, absolutely. I, I think that when I first learned that you were doing this project, I was super intrigued because I was, you know, reading about 
kind of what sparked you to do this. And I, I just saw like similarities in like my own story and then the connections that you're very specific about. And I was like, that's a lot of that is tied up in my history too. And now as we're talking, you're telling me like, you know, our parents are relatively the same age. They all spent, they spent time in Buffalo. And I'm like, that's just, okay. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think I, ha you know, um, these oral traditions are, are important and they give you a chance to, to really think out loud about your, about who you are in that story. So I, I'm no longer just the vessel, like I am the active participant mm -hmm. in sharing that. You're now also the subject, right? Yeah. This is, um, you know, for an only child, that's like, you know, a huge thing. So you have to be mm -hmm. that. Um, well, thank you for sharing your stories with me. I really <laughs> enjoyed this conversation. Thank you.